Hello everyone and welcome to the Very Reasonable Pilots Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Long. With me as always my co-host, editor, producer, co-pilot, gunner, navigator, orator, and podcasting associate, Jacob Gloth. How you doing today, Jacob? I, I'm okay, Charlie. Lo- How are you? I'm good. I meant to say my long-suffering podcast associate, because I've been putting this episode off for a while and I want to apologize to you, Jacob, and I want to apologize to our, our, our beautiful listener, our one listener that we have. I want to apologize to him or first, her. I mean, first you delayed it a week, and then you delayed it another day. Now I delayed it another 30 minutes. I delayed minutes. it half an hour, and then you delayed it an additional 20 minutes. Yeah, so I, I want to apologize to everyone involved. That was not my uh, not my intent, but we move on. We move forward, right? Uh, today, mm-hmm. I have an episode uh, titled The Crimson Rider, is the, is the name of the episode. Oh. And it follows two uh, main characters, right? Our first character, Henry Flynn. Henry, spelled H-E-N-R-I, Flynn. A millionaire socialite who uncovers a mystical why you, ruby. Why did you spell that out for I us? I will explain why. You'll see why I spelled it out. Right? Okay. You'll see. Uh, I think everyone knows how to spell Henri. Henry? Spelled Henry. <laughs> But there's an I instead of an of a Y. Keep that in mind. Uh, a millionaire socialite who uncovered a mystical ruby that summons a flying six-legged horse during the Great War. He uses that along with dual enchanted World War One pistols to fight crime in Hyde City, and he exists oh. in sort of like a uh, fictional, hyper-realized version of the 1930s. Right. So imagine Dick Tracy. Uh, the Stranger, you know, really early versions of Batman, that sort of a character, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a, it's like Zorro. Exactly, like a Zorro-style character. And then we have Henry Flynn, our, other sec- our second main character, spelled H-E-N-R-Y. And he is a Hyde okay. City police officer with a disgraceful past. A former FBI profiler who now works to find serial killers that crop up in the city like addicts outside of a methadone clinic. All right? And this guy, he... So we got Henri and we got Henry. I, yeah, sure. And they got similar... They're both... Well, I'm, I'm just saying that to make it easier you're for ma- the You're saying it to, to make me angry is what you're doing. <laughs> we do not like Henri. Do you not, do you not like the French pronunciation of Henry? No. I like Henry and Henry because uh, the I know Henry, okay. the the '30s socialite would would he would despise the French because that's what all people did in the '30s. Yeah, except for the French people. That yeah, like exactly. Themselves. Well, no, the French are notoriously self-loathing. All right, and so Henry, the the moderate, he you know the disgraced FBI profiler, he exists in like a more realistic version of a 1990s city, right? So imagine, like, Seven, or Fight Club, or, like, Memento, you know? He kind of exists in, like, a universe that is much closer to our own, but is still hyper-realized, right? There are still, like, crazy killers and stuff like that that he's got to catch, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So more like like Batman in sort of, like our time yeah exactly more batman begins like the batman the movie yeah more batman begins batman or begins. the batman versus uh the other henry flynn who is more like 1960s style batman right or like the 30s serial style batman right 
Okay. And so I like how everything is in terms of Batman. That that really helps me understand it. You wanted to make it about Batman, and I'm happy to, because there's gonna be a, that's not gonna be the last <laughs> Batman related thing, or not even similar. It's just similarity. You see, so our two main characters have their own stories that are going along, and each episode will be split pretty much evenly between the their two perspectives, right? Okay. So the modern, the '90s, like hard, harder uh, Henry uh, storyline will be about. We'll start with the naptime strangler has been targeting parents as soon as they put their kids down for a nap, and Henry must work with other members of the police department, including a young woman by the name of where I have her name, uh, Kita. Kita. Uh, they must work together to figure out who this killer is and how to stop them. Um, and then we have Henry, the socialite. Uh, you know what? I will just call him Henri. Henri and Henry. Ah. Yeah, you've you've twisted oh, yeah. my arm just because it makes it so much easier. It's so much easier when you can read it. Uh, but Henri mm-hmm. is... the His story is, The felonious falcon is at it again, having stolen the prize jewel of the LeBeau family during their patriarch's oh. funeral. You know? That's his story. Yeah. So... A supervillain by the name of the Felonious Falcon has committed a crime, and now he has to stop it, right? And one of the things that I did to help me differentiate these two characters is all of Henri's, like, stories are written in cursive, and all of Henry's stories are written in uh, just regular print. Oh. So if you looked at the nice. notebook, you would you would be like, oh, there is a That's big why difference. it's Henri and Henry. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's the perfect. It makes yeah. sense. You're, Henri, you're right. Henri, very cursive name. You can't write Henri in manuscript. No. You have to write that in cursive. Yeah. So, episode one. After Henry awakes after a strange dream of galloping across the skies, he takes a shower and gets his st- his uh, last cigarette stolen out of his window. So this is how I want the f- the opening scene of the show is our main character Henry waking up like in a cold sweat and he takes a shower and we realize that he is on the first floor and his window in his bathroom sticks immediately onto the street. And so our first like real good look at him is him sticking his head and like one arm out of the like curtain of his shower with a cigarette in his hand. And he's or in his mouth, and he's just trying to get strangers on the street to light the cigarette for him. And he finally thinks he's got someone with a lighter, and they steal the cigarette out of his mouth and smoke as they walk away. And he's he's just not having a good time, right? Believe it or not, one of my main characters is kind of a scumbag. I know. Surprise, surprise. I usually write saints. Ah, he's always got no no good scumbag. Yeah. Guys. And so he get he gets out of the shower. He he's annoyed that he's gotten his last cigarette stolen and he hops into his cherry red Corvette and drives to work at oh. the uh, at the police station, right? Remember, the show is called The Crimson Rider. Just, mm-hmm. that's... Gotta have a red car. Yeah. Uh, he gets to work and is chewed out for being late and then he gives a and then he gives a brief to the newer officers about the nighttime strangler. Officer Kita, one of the newest uh, recruits, suggests that daycare employees as possible subjects and henry belittles her uh but you know and he he like dresses her down in front of everybody and like that's a stupid idea but then after everyone's dismissed he demands that they ride together because he's like he he you know 
even though he took her down a peg, he's like, she's probably the smartest person. Like, smartest new recruit. I want to have her in my car. Right? Okay. And so they ride around, uh, and they get to the parent, the, the house of the latest murder. And they investigate the parents and the children, and they find that these kids have really no connections whatsoever. Like, the, the houses are on different sides of the town, the kids don't go to the same school, the parents don't shop at the same grocery store, like, nothing. There's really no connection. Right between the the families of this of this naptime strangler, and so they give up the search. Henry kind of just like whatever he gives up for the day, and he decides to go uh, get a drink and something to eat at the local slop shop. Right, um, and this is the one place in town where they actually genuinely seem to like Henry, and he gets his uh, his drinks for free. And that's his thing. Uh, and this is more, and once they get there, they start chat chatting, and we learn a bit more about Kita and a little bit more about Henry through this. And we learn that she was the top of her class, and a self-made expert on criminal psychology. Uh, and Henry remembers his training, uh, in a hazy fog and of nostalgia and regret, uh, as he's chatting to her about his time in the academy and all the all the adventures he had, and, you know, you kind of get the impression that most of what he's saying didn't happen, or if it did happen, it didn't happen like that. Um, oh, I see. And so he's like, I had such a great time, and it's him getting beat the fuck yeah, up. Yeah, he gets beaten up. And... I had tons of friends. He gets face shoved into a toilet bowl. Mm -hmm. That sort of thing. And so he, you know, he has a few drinks, he maybe has, like, a shot of whiskey or whatever, and then he gets in the car behind the wheel, of course, and he drops Kita off at her house, right? He says, I'll see you tomorrow. We're going to keep up the search. He's basically decided she's going to be my partner, right? Um, and she gets really no say in it. And then he goes home and he falls asleep while watching an old 1930s action serial on the TV, right? Ah, oh, the the gray ghost. Exactly. He's watching the gray ghost. And then Henry Henri awakes and begins his day with a with a robust exercise routine and an anonymous debriefing from the police chief. So he's got the like red phone that he picks up and the the police chief talks to him about the crimes that have occurred. The felonious falcon is at it again. This time harassing a family in mourning, the cur. <laughs> Henri Flynn uh, has an appointment with a psychiatrist where he tells them about his strange dreams that he's been having, right? Of mm -hmm. poverty and crime and uh, what's and disgrace in the future. Seemingly, these dreams are taking place in a time that he does not recognize with technology that he could never even imagine, like a cellular phone or cars that have oh. like radios built into them mm -hmm. the doctor who we never see uh, ups his medication yet again and then Henry decides Henri decides to give the Lebeau family his best wishes so he goes in and he he chats with the family and he he sees the the casket with this old man you know he was the patriarch and and Henri gives a a bit of a solemn, like, regard, like, maybe he didn't have the best relationship with this man, but his family does not deserve his wrath, and that sort of thing. 
And after all of that, he decide he dons the visage of the Crimson Rider. And as the rider, oh. he begins his search for the felonious falcon. And after a citywide searching across the skies and on the grounds, you know, uh, going and beating people up in, in, in dingy bars and meeting through, you know, going through the scum of the city. And I really want this, this, uh, this is going to be very silly, obviously, because it's a 1930s style cereal, but yeah. he's got like, imagine he's got this gigantic red overcoat and these thick red circular glasses a scarf on his face and a large red fedora, right? He's really yeah. leaning into the red theme. He's got two dual It seems very, uh, what is it, Batman Returns? Yeah. The one with Val Kilmer as Batman mm -hmm. and, like, I think Tommy Lee Jones had the very crazy-looking yeah. two-faced. So imagine, like, yeah, a mixture of Tommy Lee Jones in Batman. Is it Batman and Robin? I think that's Batman and Robin or Batman Forever. I think Batman and Robin is... Uh, is it, no, that's Batman Forever. Yeah. Wait. Uh, Doesn't matter. I think Batman and Robin is uh, George Clooney. I think that one is Batman yes, Forever. Yeah, Batman Forever. So imagine Tommy Lee Jones and Batman Forever mixed with The Shadow, right? Or um, or uh, yeah. Dick Tracy. Something like that. And he's, you know, he's going through that's and he's beating people wise, up yeah. and he's getting all sorts of information, right? And after this citywide search, he finds the felonious falcon cowering in the city aviary. He seems to have lost his mind, and as the Crimson Rider attempts to take him in, the Falcon flees the Rider and uh, brings him on a merry chase across the city sky. So the Felonious Falcon, given the name, he, he does have a, a Falcon suit that lets him fly across the city. And again, the Crimson nice. Rider has a enormous bright red six-legged horse that lets him fly across the city. So... Just keep that all in mind. That's how the first episode ends. Are these like mechanical flying machines or this like it doesn't really make sense, but uh, we just it just the is, crimson. You know. The felonious Falcon's suit is mechanical. It's kind of he's kind of like the vulture, um, but the okay. the rider himself, the horse is 150 percent. It's magic like he maybe he got it in like an Egyptian temple or, you know, something like that in the war. Okay. You know, he was in the war and he found himself in this temple and, you know, all this stuff. Um, episode two. The, uh, sleep, uh, what is it? What is the nap time strangler? Yeah, the nap time strangler, uh, is still on the loose and Kita and Henry are, uh, uh, looking up every league and they eventually figure out that all of these kids are in the same, like, little league. They're not on the same team, but they're in the same, like, general uh, league. area. What, what's it called? Same league, I guess. They're in the yeah. same the same like league. Like, all, all the teams play each other. Mm -hmm, exactly. And you want to guess what the name of that league is called? Um, I don't know. That's what right. It? That's the It's the Falcons Little League. Uh, All right. So I was about to say the name of my little league that I played in, but then I thought that's probably not it. No, probably. How would he know that? Uh, it would be weird if I did know that. Is is it the Falcons Little League? Because that would be crazy. No. No. All right. No, it's not. Uh, the Falcons Little League, and it's discovered, you know, through through Kita's uh, incredible detective work and understanding of criminal psychology. They figure out that the head coach is actually the Naptime Strangler. And so they're able to deduce 
that the he is you know when the people's nap times are and when when the killer is going to be free to strike again they figure out where he's going next and they apprehend him just before he is able to do the deed and kill the parents you know he so kita and henry stop one more uh child for being orphaned and they they take this as a as a as a success and as they're uh arresting him they put him in the back of the police car and they're driving him away the nap time stranglers babbling in this nonsensical language some like nothing that either of them has ever heard before in film and tvs in, in real life it is it's a language totally alien to either of them and the only word that they can find really that they understand is city and it's just saying he's just saying city over and over again in between all of these bouts of just insane babble right and that's the end of henry's section of episode two henri is the felonious falcon is leading the rider uh, on a merry chase across the city and it's like this big action sequence and they finally are stopped at the city dam where the felonious falcon speaks in fear about the city's dark future in an unknowable language before killing himself flinging himself off of the off of the dam right Henri is uh then you know he's, he's got this look of horror on his face and then we cut immediately to Henri uh in another therapy session where he is prescribed even more medication as he talks more and more about these strange dreams that he's having right yeah end of episode two episode three uh, mm. The first episode is much long. Like I wrote much more for it because I was just like, yeah, the, the, you know, we gotta go fast. We're going fast. Gotta go fast. Vroom vroom vroom. We talked about how we making episodes too long recently, or me. I've been making episodes we did. too long. Yeah. Uh, but there's only five episodes of the series, so calm down. Uh, so episode three, Henry and Kita discover the killer's notebook. This the Naptime Strangler's notebook, and they find these mysterious glyphs that are all scrawled all over this map of the city, right? And they're like, we don't understand this at all. This isn't any language that either of us recognize, and, you know, we try and scan it into Google, and Google has no idea what the fuck it is. So, what are we gonna do? And Henry remembers that he has a contact in the university, in the local university, we'll just call it, like, Hyde City College, or whatever. Um, that is, a, who is, like, an expert in ancient languages, you know? Like an archaeologist, or, uh, what's the, what's the other word? What's, what, what's it? Like, a study of people? Forget. Uh, anthropologist. Anthropologist, right, yes, yes. So, Henry has this anthropologist contact, and so he, he, he talks to him, and he gets him to figure out that the scrawled, you know, glyphs on this map are actual, they're Sumerian, ancient Sumerian. But this te the translation technique that these glyphs are written in is at the very least decades old, like decades out of use. Nobody has translated Sumerian or written Sumerian like this since at the very least, like the latest would be the 1930s, right? 
And so it is going to take our our friend uh, a few days to translate it. And so meanwhile, Kita it begins investigating Henry because she hears all these things about him uh, outside of working with him. Like he, he, she hears things from other cops. She hears things from people in his neighborhood. And she's beginning to think that there's maybe more to his story than he lets on. And his, like, files have been, like, redacted or classified, right? And so she begins to investigate him and finds that he was involved in a horrific school bus bombing with him as being the only survivor, right? Because he was an FBI profiler and he he threw the rules to the, the wayside and decided that he could go save these people and stop this this lunatic who's going to blow up a school bus. But for some reason, he failed, and he was the only person to survive, even though he was inside the bus with all the kids, right? None of the kids survived, just him, right? And so Kita is kind of taken aback by this and maybe thinks that there's more to him than meets the eye. Maybe he isn't just a, a wayward soul trying to do good. Maybe he is actually like a, a lunatic, a baby killer, a, a, a maniac and a fool, right? Mm-hmm bad news bears for Kita, bad news bears for Henry. Meanwhile, the writer is investigating this language by talking to an anthropologist Henry knows from the war. The new translation of the Sumerian tells of an ancient evil that consumes civilizations when, it gain, when they gain too much power. He then prowls through the cities, or yeah, he then investigates the city's founders and finds, wait, yeah, founders' journals. So he, he goes into his vast, you know, personal library and is able to find the journals of the founders of the city, of which his family is one of the original founders. And he finds that this name keeps coming up, this name that he can't translate. It's almost as if it's an untranslatable name, but it is attached to this prophecy of a civilization defa uh, devouring beast, this being, right? He finds this name repeated over and over again within the text, but hidden behind layers and layers of various puzzles and riddles, right? Yeah. So we're not, we're, we're, it's pretty spooky scary at this point. Any questions for the class? Hmm. Um, could Jim Carrey play Henry and Henri. Uh, a young Jim Carrey. A young Jim Carrey. I think he could nail Henri, mm -hmm. and he could probably do Henry, because he's a good actor. He is a good actor, so yes, I'd say yes, he could. Um, Hell yeah. I'm just imagining, like, Ace Ventura Pet Detective as Henri, mm -hmm. and then, like, straight-faced, grim detective Jim Carrey yeah. as Henry. I like that. I could see that, yeah. Uh, episode four, <laughs> episode four begins with Henry and Kita finding a series of crimes, murders, assaults, batteries, all over the city. And then after they hear about this, they look at it and it appears that each of one of these crimes is, uh, directly correlates to one of the glyphs that was drawn into the, uh, into the map of the city, right? And they begin to investigate. You you remember the map that the Naptime Strangler had? Mm -hmm. The 
yeah, all, all the murders and assaults uh, take place at those same places in the city. And so they go uh. and they investigate uh, them and they find that uh, drawn in um, ultraviolet paint on the areas where the murders happen is the exact same glyphs as were in the killer's, uh, what do you call it? In the killer's notebook. And so they do some more investigating. They take some some uh, fingerprints and they go and they bring it to the criminal database at the police station and they find nothing, right? At very least, these prints, they don't belong to anyone in the database or... Yeah, they don't belong to anyone in the database. But there is, you know, a vast catalog of fingerprints uh, downstairs in the paper uh, databank because that were never uploaded to the digital databank because why would they? These people are all dead. I mean, come on, these fingerprints are from, what, the 30s? That's ridiculous. And so Henry and Kita, you know, they search through, they pour through all of these these old uh, fingerprints until they find a match for a Frederick LeBeau, a long-dead socialite oh. of the city, died decades ago. Very, very strange. And uh, then they are once again contacted by their anthropologist friend at the University of Hyde City, uh, who has successfully translated the text. And he finds that the original translations uh, written by anthropologists back in the day were actually incorrect. And he was able to correctly translate it. It is not a uh, an ancient evil that consumes a city when the, when the civilization has become too powerful. It's actually the other way around. It's... The city will consume this civilization. The city is the ancient evil that is spoken about in the in the prophecy. And that's no good. Oh shit. Yeah, it's bad news bears. And so then bon bueno. it's it's they're freaked out, obviously. And they uh go and they go back to this slop shop that they went to in the first episode, and Kita finally she you know, all of this this horror and death and destruction that, and prophecy that she's been uh, inundated with over the last few days, she is still very much of a uh, of a mind that it's not real. Magic's not real, and this is all bullshit. But uh, Henry is much more willing to believe it, and she finally confronts him. She says, "You were in that bus that exploded." You, you know, you're a failure, you're, you're, you're a liar. Why, why should I trust you? And then he explains his, the, the full story, the redacted parts of the story, in which uh, he was protected in this bus explosion by some sort of a magical force, and he heard a language in his head while uh, this force field protected him from the explosion, right? It was the same exact language that the naptime strangler was babbling about before he was finally taken to jail. And they're like, what the hell? So that's why Henry is so willing to believe that this is magic and prophecy is because he's experienced this magic once before. And so they decide to pay the naptime strangler a visit in prison, uh, but he has been murdered, slaughtered, torn apart and his uh, intestines and internal organs decorate the inside of his 
prison cell with all of the ancient glyphs ah. that were written in his map all over the cell. And that's the end of Henry's section. The Crimson Rider tears the city apart trying to find the secret group that is mentioned in the uh, translated text within the journals of the city founders. And he is eventually able to track this all down, all of this crazy shit, back to the LeBeau family. He goes to them uh. as Henri. He decides to, to lose the costume. He goes to them as Henri, and he begins to talk to them, ask them questions, and you can all see them being a little suspicious, but he's, again, just a guy, so why why would they care? You know, he's maybe he wants to join, that sort of a thing. And as he's, you know, making introductions and maybe trying to get his himself uh, accepted into the secret organization. He's attacked, knocked out from the back, and he awakens. Dawn, and he's, you know, been dressed back up as the Crimson Rider in full costume regalia, and he's oh. trapped downstairs okay. underneath the LeBeau Manor inside of this enormous underground sanctum for the worship of their dark god that the LeBeau family has, you know, secretly been devoted to for Damn. centuries with the uh, dead patriarch of the LeBeau family, family, Frederick LeBeau, as the center of the worship. And he's alive again, and he's sacrificing people, and he's chanting his strange, horrific language that he's never heard of. Huh? I said this is very Court of Owls. It's getting... It is, it is Court of Owls. It was, it was, I was thinking of, like, sort of Court of Owls meets, like, Cthulhu-style stuff, you know? I like it. I like it. Because I didn't know where to end it. But now we're going to find out where I end it, because episode five is the final episode. And this episode is going to get a little weird. Because the rest of it's been very normal. Oh, this episode. This episode. Okay. The rest of it's been stark normal. Yeah, very average. average. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's how episode... for a second I thought you were just reading the Breaking Bad pilot. Yeah. But then I realized this is a different show. When you said Henry, Henry, not Hank. Mm-hmm. Um, episode five uh, begins with Henry and Kita discovering LeBeau's diary uh, hidden deep within the uh, underneath the police department within their paper files, and within the diary they're able to decode these the secret text that is hidden, you know, within the text, right? So it's, you know, ciphers and stuff, and Kita and Henry are able to figure out that there is a secret entrance entrance to this cave of worship underneath the abandoned LeBeau Manor. And so they decide to suit up, they, you know, we do a cool, like, suit-up sequence where they have guns, and they're loading them, and they're, like, getting ready, they put on their vests and that sort of thing. And they go to the manor, and they're able to, like, pry open this long, you know, forgotten well, and rappel down into the cave underneath of the LeBeau Manor. There they find this horrific ritual taking place with the, you know, mangled corp- mangled corpses of dozens of people lining the walls as the ancient visage of LeBeau slits the throat of a civilian, right? And I wanted to kind of be a mirror shot to when the Crimson Rider awoke, right? It's almost the exact same thing with the same people, but instead of being like this young family 
of fully living people and socialites in the 30 that are now basically walking corpses, you know, with their skin all gaunt and sallow, you know, and no, they haven't had sons, so they're all so pale and, like, barely living, right? Kept alive only yeah. by the magic that LeBeau is able to pull from the city, right? Henry tries to stop him, right? Uh, as he th slits the throat of the civilian, Kita stays hidden, but Henry can't help himself, and he jumps up, he tries to stop him, but is himself stopped by the hanging, barely living body of the Crimson Rider. That's right. Oh. The Crimson Rider didn't just disappear. Uh, he was held captive by these, these cultists for the last 60 years. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so he's, like, hanging up. Imagine, like, kind of like a... Uh, not on a cross, but he's hanging up being suspended by, like, this horrible fleshy mass. You know, but he's still in his full costume, and he looks up, and you can see the face. And I would imagine it's the same... Yeah, it's the same actor, but he's, like, gaunt, and he's very skinny, and he looks as, his, as if his very life essence has been being sucked out of him for the past 60 years. And then the second half of the episode... Uh, takes place from the rider's perspective, right? But he sees the world through Henry's eyes with both of their internal monologues overlapping and arguing as Henri and Henry try to, like, coalesce their two perspectives into one, right? And as this is happening, they both, like, fall to the ground. Henry falls to the ground and he's in agonizing pain as LeBeau explains that the two men have been touched by a horror unknown to them and unknown to mankind itself, making them the perfect vessels for the true, you know, uh, the true power of the city to come forth and destroy the civilization, take it back into the depths from which it was made, right? Uh, but as LeBeau is explaining this, Kita pops out from her hiding space and she begins blasting people down and she Im implores Henry that he doesn't have to be this, you know, this vessel for this this horror. He, he has experienced terrible things in his life, but he's also done so much good, right? He's helped so many people. And even though the people in the city can't really see that because they call him a, a killer and a monster, they, you know, without him, they would have been dead or, you know, living in a fear a dozen times over. You know, he's helped so many more people yeah. than he's hurt. And with that, and mm -hmm. she's speaking to Henry, but she's also speaking to Henri. And through, you know, her her uh, words, they're able to come together. And instead of their overlapping, you know, monologues and their, their internal, like, thoughts fighting one another, they became the same. In one moment, they turn into the same person, and they decide that they need to help people, right? They need to save the world. They can't allow this madman to have his his way with the city. And so we have, like, a coalescing of both of their, their physical forms as, you know, we get the face of Henry, but we have, he's in the Crimson Rider outfit, and he's got two re of the normal guns and the, and the regular, and the Crimson Horse shows up out of nowhere, and begins helping them as the magic of the ruby and the magic of the guns and the magic of these two men working together for a greater good is able to overpower LeBeau, able to stop his, his evil plans, his evil plots, 
but in doing so they burn out the last of their collective energy and as the two men in the same body lie dying on the ground having destroyed Lebeau and destroyed this accursed temple to death and hatred they look up at Kita's face and they are satisfied with what they've done they're satisfied wow. with their sacrifice it's the end of the it's the end of the story this is the end of the show oh really yeah. okay damn what i'm a little confused so what 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 was i'm what's the thing that makes them one person i'm confused at how they're one guy uh because the so the evil that was meant to that takes over civilizations right and kills people yeah uh, it's meant to be throughout the show you're meant to think that it's this external creature but when in reality it is the city of Hyde City itself and so and these two men Henry and Henry are kind of like mirrors of one another for the time that they live in and the reason that they are that way is because they experienced great horror in their lives right Henry Henri uh, obviously in the war in the great war and Henry in his, you know, life as an FBI profiler. And so LeBeau is going to use okay. these two mirrors uh, to, like, basically look at one another. You know, when you get two mirrors and you point them at one another and they bounce back and forth and you see I this never-ending cascade, right? That, yeah. but it's just kind of, like, evil energy that will allow the city to, you know, fully consume the civilization. And like I said... There's serial killers all over the city, and it's because the city itself is evil, right? And so, seeing it, they are mirrors, but uh, they they can't get along. They hate each other throughout this whole episode. Their like internal monologues are just like battling, but they realize that they're much more similar than they are different, and that you know realization that the mirrors are the same mirror is enough for them to like come together magically and turn into one guy right okay that's the sort of thing i was going for okay i got yeah. you i think i understand and then our f- still a little confusing but yeah it, I like it's it. a confusing cool. show i know it is um and then the final scene is turns out that henry wrote a really, really great recommendation letter for Kita to go and become uh, an FBI profiler, which we will have learned that that's her, like, dream job, basically. That's what she wants to do. And this police department is is a stepping stone in that. And so before he died, he was Ah. able to send a recommendation letter to some of his contacts. And so... The final shot oh, will be... Oh, so you could have, like, a post credit scene. Yeah. Oh, you're going to tell me. Yeah, the final know. shot will be her, you know, walking into her first day as an FBI profiler, and it'll be sort of a thing. Maybe she'll be sitting at a, a desk, and you'll see the wall of, like, FBI profilers and, and police officers who died on the job who are part of this, you know, department, and yeah. we'll just see Henry's picture. You know? Oh, you know what? You know what you could do? In the beginning of the show, you can have her apply for that job, mm-hmm. and she gets rejected, and then she still goes back in her first day, and she's like, so what made you change your mind about accepting my application? It's like, oh, well, your um, your letter of rec came in, 
And, uh, you know, he's, he was such a glowing review, we, we couldn't let you down, we couldn't, you know, not take it. And she's like, my letter of rec. She's like, oh yeah, it, it was it was a little late, but uh, it came in. Yeah. And then we, we zoom in on the picture. Zoom in on the picture, and it's, it's a nice little story about people being friends. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's what it's about. It's a nice, nice story about people ch being children friends. friendly show about people being friends. It's definitely not about crazy weird, like time loops and, uh, you know, people having the same soul and destiny. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the Crimson Rider. That's my show. The Crimson Rider. What a show. What a show. I'm glad that I, in the beginning, forced you to call one character Henri and the other Henry. Me too. Me too. Because it was funny. It was funny and helpful. Also, it would have been confusing. Would have been so confusing. But that's okay. Because we're here. Um, I said my show. Is it the best show I've ever written? No. But I think it's fun. Cut I think it's good. What what show is 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 the best show you've ever written, Charlie? Since you've decided that this one isn't the hate. The hate. Wow, that was a quick response. I think if you asked me the same question. I wouldn't be able to answer. I love the hate but... so much. Uh, I think it's yes, yes, I think it's hate. fun, but I think that's also because I really like political satire. Um, also, probably Human Meat would be uh, my my two. Will be your two. See, I like out of your shows, I like Human Meat more than uh, the Hate. That's fair. Um, human meets well. Human meets a standalone show. The hate you probably had to watch the other show yeah. to understand what human meat is. You're right. Um, you know which one of your shows I really like? Journos. Uh, I do. It's oh, I was gonna take a guess. It was gonna be a wildly wrong show. <laughs> is it gonna be the one? I, I listen back to Journos. Not much of a plot in Journos. No, it's all about the world. <laughs> but I like the world a lot, and I like that I'm a character, like, and I you're a like character. Yeah. Well, we're not characters. What are you talking no, about? No, not at all. I think it's Edward and uh, Fred. Yeah, Edward and Fred. The characters. I don't know. It's not you. No. It's, it's Edward and Fred. Yeah, good. You're right. Sorry. I mixed it up. It's, it's crazy. You have such a high opinion of yourself that you think you're those characters. Even if we were those characters, who would we be? I mean, like, we're not similar at no. all. I guess you're kind of similar to Fred. And you're kind of you're not that far off from Edward, I'd say. Yep. Do smoke all the time. I, all the time. Mm -hmm. I am very well known for smoking at all times. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. No sarcasm. That was the Crimson Rider. What'd you think, Jake? I enjoyed it. I thought it was going a different direction a couple of times. Mm -hmm. I was I was trying to figure out how they were connected. Um, I thought parallel universe maybe. I thought maybe it was relatives. Nope. But uh, two souls, one guy, or two, two guys, one soul. Yeah, pretty much. That should be the name of the show, actually. Two guys, two one guys, soul. Two guys, one soul. Two girls, one cup, two guys, one soul. Well, that was the that was the part that you didn't have to get to, Charlie. That was... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> um, yeah, two guys, one soul. Uh, timeline repeats itself over and over again we live in a never-ending loop cthulhu did they not break the loop at the end they did break the loop at the end okay it's just good but we were happy about it 
I was really struggling with how I was gonna, cause I knew I liked the idea of a detective and he's having dreams of like a 40 style hero, right? But I really didn't know how I was gonna tie it in. I didn't know what the plot, what the story was gonna lead to, what the main bad guy was gonna be. And then I was like, I was thinking one day, I was like, what if it was Cthulhu? And then it was Cthulhu. I made a Cthulhu. Oh. So, well, I'm normally not a very big fan of Cthulhu. I feel like he's overdone. Yeah. But we've never... Doesn't well, really have too much character to him either, but you know, I like the way you do yeah, it. Yeah, he's a city. Cthulhu is built by man. We are the architects of our own destruction. And all that jazz. But yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Very Reasonable Pilots Podcast. I've been your host, Charles Long. With me, as always, been my co-host, editor, producer, co-pilot, gunner, navigator, orator, and my long-suffering podcast associate, Jacob Gloth. If you like what you heard here and you want to hear more, please give us a like, a follow, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your dog, tell your cat. Remember, we will be here next week with a brand new televisual series for you to all to imagine and enjoy. Thank you, and have a good night.